I guess I should start saying Merry Christmas then. Because it's the time, it's after Thanksgiving, we're, we're into Christmas time. But I was reading online, uh, just, just fascinating little posts about what do people say during this time of year. You may hear this a lot, you may hear the Merry Christmas a lot, but as well you'll hear the Happy Holidays. Which, the reason that kind of started was because Merry Christmas became offensive to some people. Which, rightfully so, the, uh, the scandal of the cross and the understanding of Christianity it can be offensive to a lot of people that don't buy into it. But to a Jew, what do they celebrate? They don't celebrate Christmas, necessarily. They cel- celebrate Hanukkah. Or if you're an atheist, you may, you may celebrate Christmas, but you don't celebrate the Christ part of it. I don't know, you can't celebrate Mass either. So if you're an atheist, I don't know what they go for. But the whole idea then, that happy holidays, it just covered everything. Everything from Thanksgiving to Hanukkah to the Festivus for the rest of us. And all that idea encompassed even with Christmas and New Year's. So is happy holidays the politically correct term? Is that what I should use? I've never been known to be too politically correct. But regardless of what you call it this year, the season This time, it's just as fascinating. Because regardless, people are going to be a little more friendly this time of year. Or at least businesses will be. I'd imagine if you go go shopping at any point within the past couple weeks through the next couple weeks, that you will probably see the clerk with a smile on their face. And they will more than likely greet you with one of those that I just mentioned. Either as you leave, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, and they'll have a smile on it. They go through this process that it seems like the world just kind of changes during this time of year. And it's for the good thing, I I would say that uh, retailers have caught on to this. This idea, this season uh, of sharing love, this sharing gifts with each other. Charities always uh, boost during this time. This is whenever most charities get all their money. See, retailers, they take this to show your love, to show your love for her, buy her, you could probably fill in the blank here, but this diamond necklace is what I keep on seeing. If I really love my wife, I'm going to buy her this diamond necklace. Or for my kids, it is the, the new game or whatever it is. For him, maybe it's that big screen TV. Uh, I'll, I'll give my wish list later to you, Katie. But whatever it may be, that's how you show real love, Right? At least that's how the world sees it, is this real love. But whatever the reason, it seems to work. People will be more cordial, more happy, it seems. At least on the surface, this time of year. But, you know, come January, it's all over. We're back to our normal selves. Because this attitude that we have during the last of the year, here in December, during the holiday season is rare. It is not our normal thing. People are in need of genuine love. We're in need of seeing something authentic. There's just this need for love. The Beatles came out with a song. You may know it by that title. All you need is love. And it kind of repeats and goes through that. And it's a fun song, but if you think about it, it's really a satire on this of saying, when you think about it, no, that's not all you need. At least that's what the world around the Beatles was saying and around us today is you can't get by on just love. You need more than just love. But of course, there's a need for it. 
we are in a world that is in desperate need for love. And even though our society glorifies the subject of love, there's still so little evidence that love is around us in this world today. I think a lot of that is we are misguided. Society seems to equate sex with love. Many engage in sex without even a thought of love. And others, others might say a, a, an indulgence is love. An indulgence of all the things that I want. And that goes into the giving gifts and getting gifts and having all that. that that's real love. That shows someone loves me. Or maybe tolerance. Someone who is truly tolerant of everybody else. They, they really love everybody. That's what the world tries to say, but, you know, if I understand the Bible right, if someone is not doing the will of God, if I really love them, it's my duty to actually go and help them correct their ways, to try to change the course of their path that they're on. That's what love is according to the Bible, but according to the world, we are misguided. If we think like the world, that that sex is love, that indulgence is love, or tolerance is love. Secondly, I think another reason is love is misunderstood. It's one of the problems of our language. The English language uh, is, is just kind of a funny language. It's written completely different and, and understood completely different than the Greek, where the Greek would use many words to try to describe one idea. We use one word to describe, describe multiple ideas. Let me, let me give you an example with the word fast. Fast can mean quick, that your colors don't run, it could mean to tie something up, that someone is morally loose. It could mean to not eat. It can mean to, your watch has gained time. It could mean that you're loyal, that you're sleeping soundly, or that you're close to something. You may have to think for some of those for a little bit, but those are a broad spectrum for one word that can mean so many different ideas. Another word like that is love. We see two people locked in an embrace under a tree, and they, they're just locked there, and then they, they say to each other just so serenely, I love you. And then that same couple heads to a Mexican restaurant, and the husband says, man, I love fajitas. Same words. Uh, completely different emotion. And then the, the whole idea then is uh, that we also will see on bumper stickers driving around, you'll see, I love cowboys. Well, maybe not this year, but you'll see it. You see that idea of all these different ideas of, of love. Ralph Stockman said, love is an overworked word for an underemployed emotion. I think he's right. He, we use the word all the time, but we really don't employ that emotion. No wonder society misunderstands what love really is. Real, true love is missing in this world. Just turn to the news if you don't believe me. This world is starving for love. And Jesus said that a new commandment I give you in John 13, 34, and 35. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But what is really this love the Bible talks about? Because I can say love pretty easy. But the question is, do we really know what that is? Do we know what love is? Let's look at a definition. I mentioned that the, the Greek will use several words to convey uh, uh, their idea that they're wanting. Well, there's several words that 
the Greek has for love. First one is eros, and this is the sensual love. This is the love that we see depicted in movies, that it is, it is about the sexual nature, and it's about that idea that you are strongly attracted to someone, and the stars just align, and you feel head over heels. It's the same idea that Woody Allen was speaking of whenever he said, I was nauseous and tingly all over. I was either in love or I had the smallpox. That's this type of love. The next is, is philea. Philea is, is the idea of brotherly love. This is the kind of love that I feel a, a strong connection with someone. We are either on the same page, we're on the same ideas. Uh, we have a lot in common, and I call you brother. Have you ever wondered why the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love? Well, there you go. The next one is not one that's talked about too much, but it's storgy. And th- this one is the family love. This is basically inherent with mothers to daughters. It's that love that uh, even though the mother has gone through all this pain of childbirth, when they see their child right there, that's this kind of love. A daughter gave her mother a plaque to further illustrate this. The plaque said, I love you more than you love me because I have loved you my whole life and you've only loved me part of yours. Cute as it can be, but the word love in the Bible most often comes from this one word, agape. And the best way that I think that I could describe it is willful love. It is not the, the love of the heart so much, but it, and a feeling of the heart, it's a feeling of the mind. It is a purposeful choice. This is why when Jesus says to love our enemies, it makes sense. We have to choose to do that. That has to be something in our head. This is the agape kind of love. That love that we can have for our enemies. But you really can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I would say one of the greatest descriptions of love comes from 1 Corinthians 13. It says this, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own. Love is not irritable. And it keeps no record of when it has been wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never, uh, never fails, is what that should say. Huh. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's a great definition of love. But we still have to understand what it's talking about. We, we, we see that definition, we see all the things packing on around there, but we may be familiar with that passage. And I would say most of us might have even had that passage read as part of our wedding ceremony, that the love never fails, and we signed on to that when we got married, is that love will never fail, we're not going to let it. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 in a different way. One of the biggest displays of love that God has ever shown us I I believe, is what we celebrate, what most of the world celebrates this time of year. God became flesh in this little baby. God, the, the supreme being of the universe that created it all, decided to become vulnerable, to become dependent as a baby, having not being able to take care of anything himself, having to rely upon humans to change him to feed him until he grew up and could do it by himself. That is a show of love that God entrusted to us, but it didn't stop there. He was on this earth for three decades, or a little over three decades. And through that, he he tried to show his love to others through 
all, how he came in contact with people. But then in the end, he took our sin, all of our sin upon himself, died, was resurrected to defeat death for us. That is love that Jesus seems personified in this idea of love. That's what the Bible's talking about in John 1, 17, when it says God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. So if that's true, then we should see the character of Christ reflected in 1 Corinthians 13. So here's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 again. We're going to change the word love to Christ, because if if Christ personifies love, it should work. So let's just read this as modified, changing the word love to Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Jesus does not demand his own way. Jesus is not irritable, and he keeps no record of when he, had, he has been wronged. He is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up, never loses faith. He is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. What do you think? Makes sense, doesn't it? I think that fits pretty well an understanding of who Jesus was. And it really kind of sets for me this idea that, really, that Jesus is love. That whenever you can interchange the words, boy, that just tells you that's right on target. Let's take a step further, though. What's a Christian? If you were calling yourself a Christian, wouldn't you back me up on saying that we should be like Christ? Or a little Christ, as I've said before, we are... We are supposed to be like that. Ephesians 4, verse 15 says, Instead, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. We change the word from love to Christ. If that's true about Christ, the question is, let's change it from Christ to Christian. Here we go. We are patient and kind. We are not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. We do not demand our own way. We are not irritable. And we keep no record of when we have been wronged. We are never glad about injustice, but rejoice whenever the truth wins out. We never give up, never lose faith. We are always hopeful and endure through every circumstance. Does that really fit us? Maybe we got a few things we really need to work on. But if we're supposed to be like Christ, and Christ is the personification of love, wouldn't it make sense that our life should reflect 1 Corinthians 13? John 13, 35. I already mentioned this. Let's go back to it again. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's all starting to make sense in my mind. It's starting to make sense of what, what God was really calling us to do whenever he tells us to love one another, to have love reigning in our lives. It kind of, I understand it now. This idea that love isn't just something to achieve. It is something that is my core. It is something that comes, comes out and, and is just there. Is that how people identify us as, as Christians? Is by our love? By this verse? There are two secrets, I, I would say, that ex- to exemplify this kind of love. One is it has to be intentional. You can't just hope for it to happen. You have to make this kind of love happen. You have to walk around every day in every circumstance thinking, I'm going to love here. 
I'm going to show people love. I'm going to be love in this world. It's got to be intentional. But number two is you can't do it yourself. If it was just a matter of my mind and my will, I know I would fail. Because I know where my mind and my will take me. They only take me so far. Sometimes I come across obstacles that I just can't climb over, that I can't myself power you know, the ability to get over it. So I can't do this by myself. I can't always be love. But we don't have to. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here, there is no conflict with the law. We know these as the fruit of the Spirit. Notice which one's first. Love. But also notice, it doesn't say we will produce it. Who's going to produce this? The Spirit. The Spirit will produce these kind of things in our life if the Spirit controls our lives. But it's up to Him. He's going to produce this love, joy, and on and on. He will produce this. The world around us has so many ideas about love. That love is just something that whenever you feel it, you know it. And whenever it's there, you know, it just may surprise you, hit you like a truck, whatever it may be. But that's not the love that Christ talks about, that the Bible talks about. The love is a willful thing. Have we bought into how the world defines love or are we defining love the same way Christ did? ran across this poem that I thought was great because it, it, it talks about the, the need for love, that, uh, that love puts the needs of others above yourself and the idea of what it shows people with the love. This is by uh, Barbara Ryberg. Help me to walk so close to thee that those who know me best will see. I live as godly as I pray and Christ is real for me or for, from day to day. I see some once a day or year. To them I blameless must appear. It's easy to be kind and sweet to people who we, whom we seldom meet. But in my home are those who see too many times the worst in me. My hymns of praise were best unsung if he does not control my tongue. May no one stumble over me because thy love they fail to see. Give me, Lord, a life that sings and victory over little things. Help me with those who know me best. For Jesus' sake, to stand the test. When we exemplify love that's talked about in the Bible, people take notice. It's very obvious to people whenever we take the kind of love that is talked about in the Bible, put it in our lives, because they feel it. They they may not understand it, but they know it. They know what they're looking at is something that even they want. And I think that leads people to Christ. I really, truly believe that our love for people is what the Spirit works on. It, it, it works through on that love to draw people to Him. Because God is love. And it's a more godly characteristic than we sometimes realize. It's infectious. Whenever I show love to someone else, I'm going to get it in return. Maybe not always, may, maybe, but that's not the point of love and sharing love. But it does happen that people are more willing to be receptive to love and to give love whenever they see it from others. I want this church more than anything else to be a community of love. 
a community that more than anything else, I want I want myself and, and you included to feel complete and utter love from each other. That there's no doubt where any of us stands because we have chosen to love each other. And that is how the people will know we are, we are Christians. It's by our love. If we love each other as God has loved us, then we become this society of love that serves kind of like a magnet to a starving world. It brings the, the presence of Jesus and salvation to the people. When you look at your life, I want you to examine your life then. And examine your life in the light of 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, does your life match up to that? Can you substitute your name in there for love and say, yeah, that's me? If not, you can. If you, if you can't do that right now, know that God has a plan for you. God wants you to be able to substitute your name there, that you are loved just like he is because we're trying to be like him. If you want that, then there's an opportunity as an invitation stands before us right now, an opportunity to come clean of anything in your past, to be baptized in the water's baptism, take on Christ as your Savior, and to know that that is the beginning of the journey. But if you've already done that and you still can't substitute your name in, then you need to come clean from a past that is stopping you from that. And if you've got that, it's something in your past that's holding you back from being able to say, man, I am loved to everybody I come across. Well, then come forward this morning as we stand and sing and come clean of that. If you're subject to this invitation, please come forward as we stand.